Greetings from Cyberdelic Space. This is Lorenzo, and I'm your host here in Psychedelic Salon 2.0. Today, the uh, Symposia team has sent us a recording of some of the stories that were told last month in Austin, Texas, on their Blue Dot Tour. Lex told me that this was the first time that they held one of these sessions in a public library. And interestingly, uh, well, to me at least, (laughs) whenever I think of Austin, it's uh, a library that comes to mind. You see, it was 45 years ago in the LBJ Library in Austin, Texas, that I was sworn into the Texas State Bar and began practicing law. Uh, Practicing legally, I should add, (laughs) because I'd already made a couple of court appearances while waiting for the bar exam grades to come in. I was pretty confident. (laughs) Anyway, in addition to being a Texas drug dealer, I also practiced law there without a license which means that being a Texas outlaw isn't uh, actually the thrilling occupation it's shown to be in the movies. (laughs) Anyway, uh, let's get on with the show, huh? I guess I should add that the Blue Dot Tour is progressing quite well. Since they left San Diego after the April 27th event, they've produced storytelling events in Portland, Oregon, and in Victoria and Vancouver, British Columbia. A few minutes ago, I talked with Lex Pelger, who was driving to Chicago for their next stop. And uh, he says that after that, they'll be making two stops in Ohio and then on to the south. I'll be sure that uh, there's a link in today's program notes where you can check out the upcoming Blue Dot Tour stops. Hopefully, you'll be able to make one of them and uh, tell your own story. Now let's join our friends in Austin, Texas, and listen to a few psychedelic Texas stories. I'm Lex Pelger of Symposia, and this is the Psychedelic Salon 2.0. This week, we'll be bringing you another set of our storytelling nights, and this stop is from Austin, Texas. This one was especially important to me because it was our first time having an event inside a public library. And it just makes sense because nothing is more libertarian than those fierce librarians who will defend to the death your right to talk about or do anything within their holy walls. It made a particularly safe space for this strong local community to share some very close stories to their soul. It was also a pleasure to be able to feature Robert Barnhart, the maker of A New Understanding, The Science of Psilocybin. One of the reasons it's so powerful to share Robert's movie is that it is an excellent piece of work for sharing both the science of why psilocybin works, but also the stories of people who went through the legal research and how much it transformed them. A story is worth a thousand data points. This was one of my favorite stops so far on the Blue Dot Tour, and I'm pleased that you'll be hearing these stories from Austin, Texas. Enjoy. Now, it's been many years uh, since I have done uh, psychedelic drugs, uh, possibly because I don't know where in Austin to get them anymore. But I I think uh, I can bring a perspective to this because I'm 73, and I probably did my last drugs maybe uh, 30 years ago. 
So in a sense, I find myself thinking, what lasted, you know? What do I remember when uh, three decades have passed? And it's interesting. It's nothing like really uh, splashy or fantastic, and yet... Um, what I remember has had a profound effect on my whole view of life and so forth. And one of them was uh, I was uh, in my candle-lighted apartment and playing beautiful music, and um, I got up on a, a step stool, and I was looking at a plant. And this dark green plant had little purple hairs, and I just got up really close to it because I'm kind of nearsighted anyway. And I'll tell you to this day, I felt that the plant was breathing. And actually, <laughs> plants do breathe and, uh, and so forth. But uh, that had a really profound effect on me just to sort of feel the livingness, uh, the energy that is in all things. And then um, even seeing things that weren't supposed to be moving, moving. <laughs> like, I don't know, uh, you know, a, a swirl on the wall or something. Um, again, it wasn't a fantastic showy realization, but I think it really brought home to me that um, basically all things that we see and touch, even though they seem solid, they really are energy. And uh, this is my belief to this day, that really uh, we are energy beings. And my personal belief, because all of this led on a spiritual journey that began like with Stan Groff's book and also with some other books that were coming out in the 70s like um, Life After Life, Raymond Moody. There are all these books about near-death experiences and out-of-the-body experiences. And I thought, well, okay, what if anything does survive physical death? And I think the uh, realization that uh, I had that is real for me is that uh, since we are energy beings, um, when the human body wears out and we don't need it anymore, as Elizabeth Kubler-Ross said, it's just like taking out an old, taking off an old threadbare worn coat, but that the essential isness or am I amness uh, of us is not destroyed; it's just transformed. So I don't know. I just felt like sharing that with you this evening. Thank you so much for listening. There are many reasons to stay in a closet sometimes, so I'm going to leave certain things undiscussed, but I did want to address something related to entheogenic drugs. Um, a few months ago, I started um, exploring uh, shamanism, uh, specifically in the context of uh, uh, drums and rhythmic uh, induction of meditative states. Um, I think it was theta states or whatever. Um, and it's between 160 and 240 beats per minute of drums or rattles um, helps you to achieve that same meditative state. And it is surprisingly very similar um, to um, substances that you can um, acquire uh, by other means. Um, but whenever you're in that situation, you're, you're able to travel and take a journey or a trip literally um in a very similar way um and i 
I know that that's not exactly the same thing, but um, what I've been taught in the course, and I'm not sure if the exact numbers are true, but although about 5% of shamanic cultures around the world do use entheogenic drugs to achieve an altered mental state, the vast majority of shamanic cultures actually use rhythm or dancing to achieve that altered mental state. So, related, not the exact same thing, but anyways, thank you. All right, thank you. No, Uh, my name is Ian, and uh, I was trying to sit there and figure out what I was going to talk about. Since my last drug war story, which was what, like a year and a half ago in D.C., we got to participate in their event at the Washington Monument. So uh, I thought I would talk about two major times I did uh, five uh, MEO-DMT in the past year, uh, both times in Mexico. I was about to go to Peru with a bunch of veterans to take ayahuasca, do a 10-day plant dieta, and uh, Crossroads invited me to come down to, to Mexico to do the ibogaine and the toad medicine to kind of be like a guinea pig for the veterans. And uh, so I had done synthetic 5-MVO-DMT like 20 years before, like when I was, after I got out of the Army, uh, right when I was in law school. And... Uh, I just had the white-out retroactive amnesia where you have the merger of the Godhead, but you can't remember anything. And so I was like, wow, how, do, how, do you just, how does a substance you know, get rid of free will? But, uh, so I just put that away and <laughs> didn't do it for like 20 years. And then I did it again with a friend when he found out that I had it. And uh, same thing, we both had these both white-out experiences. So I was like, okay, there's, there's no point here. But then I had this opportunity to take this medicine uh, six months or so after that in Mexico. And uh, you take the Ibogaine on Friday night, and then you take the toad medicine uh, Sunday morning or during the day. So after you have a whole day of Saturday to recover. So I had uh, I'd recovered pretty well. It's probably about 90% that Sunday morning and I was going to take the toad. And so... I'm like, hey, I've taken this particular substance before, you know, I got these you know, experiences and techniques and, and meditation and yoga and all stuff. So I'm not like, I'm, you know, I've smoked DMT before, I've taken ayahuasca, I'm ready to go. And uh, so you're in a very, you know, comforting room with rugs and pillows and blankets and stuff and two uh, facilitators and uh, you're, they're heating the toad for you know toad medicine for you and a kind of a you know pipe and uh i took it in and and the you know the consciousness shift is just so strong so your ego is just uh really in, in overdrive but uh i was able to calm that down and then as soon as my soul tried to leave my body like my ego shot out some kind of uh i don't know rope or net or connection and uh i couldn't i couldn't break that and i came back and tried to work through that i still couldn't so i said i was ready for more medicine i took another uh, dose of medicine and uh, i still couldn't break break through i felt like i was trying to uh i had to kill the ego for god to come at, from outside kind of my or mental orientation on this from outside into me you know this kind of 
replacement thing, and uh, I had to understand that that can happen. But from the inside, <laughs> God's already in there, and I'm having this, you know, mistaken way of looking at it. And when that happened, uh, I was uh, I was okay, but my ego never. I was okay that I could experience the divine, and my ego could exist at the same time. And so then, when I had the chance to do it a couple months later, when we took the veterans after Peru. This time I was ready to try to fully let go. I wanted to really happen and find out. We all have this belief of what the source is, of what the universe is, of what God is. I wanted to replace that belief with the actual experience. But to do that, you got to let go of everything, you know, that you're holding on to. And uh, I was able to do that. And uh, I was able to control my breathing and turn off the gas reflex, right, the need to breathe. So my higher self's like, you're good, you're going to be able to breathe, but my ego, which is controlling that survival mechanism, I was able to down-regulate it so I could basically get it out of the way, and then I took another dose and I was able to completely let go. And then, I like you can only, I can only describe the things as far as in some kind of sensory-based perception of, like, I was in a place, but that place was infinite is where I was. So time and space disappeared, my ego disappeared, my soul disappeared. Ian disappeared. I had a perspective, but all, but it was just there was just the Godhead. So it's an infinite ocean of love, and infinite potential in every possible direction and dimension and capacity and description and all at the same time. And so then I, as soon as I got there, I said, "Is this all there is?" And then God said, "I let go to create creation." And I but I but he but I didn't say it like I hear it or I saw it. I felt it inside of me. And I was like, like the little monkey, you know, had to t- take this stuff to let go to try to find out what was there. And the source just said, dude, I just flipped the script right back on you. I let go to do all this. Go back and <laughs> do your little reentry thing, you know. And I was like, thank you. Thank you. And I, and I cried. <laughs> and then I came back. So, this, that, yeah, that medicine's just uh, really amazing. And, uh. It's really uh, powerful for, for, for trauma, for, for releasing trauma for people. So, yeah. Anyway, thank you, guys. So um, it's kind of hard for me to pick exactly where to start, except for to say that I have long-term PTSD. Um, I had a very, very abusive childhood, both uh, emotionally and physically. And because of that, I started having a lot of health problems at around uh, age 15. And over the years, they got worse and worse and worse. Problems with my stomach, with sleep, anxiety, depression. Um, I was reg- uh, eventually diagnosed with fibromyalgia, which I think is pretty much bullshit. It's just a, a box that they throw everything into when they don't know what's wrong with your immune system and why your body doesn't want to take care of itself anymore. And um, for years, I saw dozens and dozens of doctors, got pretty much every kind of health care that you can imagine, did therapy of all different kinds, um, physical therapy, was constantly getting MRIs. Um, at one point, I went and did a sleep study, and they said, well, your body never goes into delta sleep, so it's not repairing itself, and we don't know how to fix that. You can take Ambien for that. And Ambien's the worst. Um, At one point, I was on 
two different antidepressants, muscle relaxers, uh, tramadol for pain several times a day, and sleep medications, and still I was sick all the time, to the point where I was losing jobs because I wasn't showing up to work because I felt horrible. And um, I was also doing things like yoga, meditation, um, but nothing nothing was getting to the heart of the problem. Um, the issue was that I was dealing with um, hypervigilance and dissociation. So when I would go to therapy and I would try to talk about the things that I had happened to me, I would just dissociate. And so I was never getting to the root of the problem. And then I found hallucinogenics. And um, I started tripping pretty regularly by myself. I'd say this was probably about four years ago. And I probably trip once a month. And I'm not on any medications anymore. Um, I kicked a uh, 15 year tramadol habit and tramadol is pretty much one of the most addictive drugs out there. Um, and I did it cold turkey, which was pretty incredible. Uh, well, I had the help of a little bit of Kratom. Kratom helped me get through that. And I've heard a lot of people say that it's super addictive, but it was something that I was able to drop immediately. Um, I feel like hallucinogenics have changed my life. Uh, mainly in conjunction with um, genetic testing to find out what um, substances were missing in my brain and to work with uh, different minerals and vitamins and to, uh, to keep up with my meditation and yoga practices. Um, I'm also a huge proponent for um, using hallucinogenics uh, for fun. I think, I think they're, they're uh, a wonderful way to find your creativity and, uh, as was mentioned in the, fi the film, your sense of childlike wonder. Um, like I said, it's changed my life. I, I, uh, I think it's probably my, my biggest hobby now is reading everything that I can get my hands on uh, regarding neurochemistry, neurobiology, and hallucinogenics. And, yeah, that's it. <laughs> Buddy. Hi. Uh, I guess um, more than just an experience, I wanted to share, uh, I guess, my relationship with these kind of substances. Um, I guess I was raised Catholic, and as a little kid, I really bought into that tale. You know, I g got into it, and um, that was, like, I guess, something important as I grew up as a child. And, got into high school and then started questioning things and that sort of, uh, I wasn't getting the answers from religion, Christianity, whatever. Uh, but I did still keep a very spiritual uh, component throughout my early teenage years. Um, then I got into science, biology, and started re reading Richard Dawkins and that kind of crowd and that was like pretty much you know, science, this is it, reality is what we can grasp, and, you know, um, while this was going on, you know, I first started experiencing with cannabis and getting into, you know, enjoying music and that kind of stuff, playing guitar, uh, but then 
um, I guess when I was like around 17, I had my first acid trip and I had a music uh, festival. Um, I really wanted to experience what I would read about and what what was this about. Um, and then, so one night I got a good hookup, got, you know, six hits, was not, did not, did not know what I was doing. And I started with three hits <laughs> and I'm like, all right, well, this is probably going to be fun. <laughs> and maybe an hour, an hour and a half into it, I started feeling a little bit weird, but I wasn't quite there, so I decided to take three more hits. <laughs> so I said, you know, if, if I'm going to have this experience, this is going to be the night. And I mean, I, I, what can you say? I mean, I think it was the first... I mean, the first time that I had a really psychedelic experience, and I had not visuals as in like patterns, I had literally hallucinations. I would close my eyes and I would see rockets shooting up, a little like dwarfy looking character that would shoot a gun and then suddenly like bang, like it was very, um, I don't know, like a comic, very animated. Um, and then suddenly I would remember kind of like looking at the band, guitar being on fire, like the guy shredding, and I was just lost. I mean, I couldn't grasp what was going on, and then maybe people looking at me, and I was by myself, a minor detail, and, <laughs> and people would try to talk to me, and I would just like stare at them, but I just couldn't communicate, but I would be like... <laughs> um, the next day I woke up, you know, slept in a tent, woke up, and still, everything was still very swirly the next day. Um, so I guess I was like, all right, well, I had my psychedelic trip. I had the experience I was looking for. Um, but then every time I would get into psychedelics when I was a young, you know, teenager, it would be through music and party and experiencing, like, friends and that kind of stuff um, until later on, maybe when I was like, um, I mean, maybe five years ago, like late 20s, uh, when I got really into having a very um, personal relationship with, with um, psilocybin um, by getting to, you know, grow. And um, I mean, you say grow, but you just provide the right environment and the rest, you know, the organism flourishes. Um, and that's when I really got into, you know, uh, exploring the mind and exploring, um, you know, whatever. I mean, it's like having a, a psychotherapist at your hand. And um, the one thing is that um, having this sort of scientific background and uh, being very uh, into, you know, this is what we see, reality is what science t tells us it's, it's all about. And at the same time, every weekend I was having crazy experiences where I could not explain what was going on. And I was like, you know, how can I merge these two views? How can I have uh, experiences where I cannot really explain or, uh, you know, I cannot uh, put it even into words? Um, so I think that overall, I mean, it's uh, it's been a really... Uh, a growing experience, and I think that the the main thing that I get from these uh, drugs is that, or you know, psychedelic, whatever you want to call them, uh, it's just that they really make you question whatever you believe in. You know, whether it is 
your religion or if you are an atheist like I was at one point, it really makes you question just everything. So um, I think that that's the main thing that, that I got to learn from having a relationship with these kind of substances, uh, that you're never sure about anything and that you should always put yourself into other people's perspective, give people the benefit of the doubt because we don't know shit. And, <laughs> you know, so but that's basically what I learned. So, yeah. It's been fun. I'm a big nature lover, and one of the things I think about a lot is invasives. Uh, anyone who's familiar with invasives, they're basically just plants and animals that are deemed that they shouldn't be here, like skunk cabbage all over Austin, those fields and fields of those yellow flowers. You see them, those aren't native to Texas, they shouldn't be here, they're choking out other things, as an example. Uh, And my family lives in Hawaii, where it's basically like the boiling pot of what's going to happen all over the planet with climate change and everything else. It's just like ground zero for invasives. Um, Like, you know, I remember when there weren't koki frogs in Hawaii, and that was about 10 years ago, and now they're everywhere. Uh, I remember when there weren't cattle egrets in Hawaii, and they showed up last year, and now they're all over the place. Um, anyway, uh, I have a lot of anxiety and guilt and shame about the state of the planet. I kind of just put it on myself. Somehow this is my fault because of my kind of Western privileged lifestyle. Uh, and I was kind of been grappling with this for years. And while I was last in Hawaii visiting my family, uh, I decided to kind of sit with this and take some uh, mushrooms. And I had a big moment while I was sitting, like really deep peeking into the experience when I, I mean, it was beautiful. My parents live on the coast. There's you know, beautiful trees. You see the Pacific. It's absolutely gorgeous. And while I'm in the middle of this, a cardinal, flies and sits on a tree. And cardinals don't belong in Hawaii. They're not native to Hawaii. Um, <laughs> like, they're from here, but they're not from there. Someone someone brought it to Hawaii. I don't know why. I guess they just really like cardinals. Who knows? And so the bird technically didn't belong there. And it was beautiful. You know, it was a beautiful, bright red, vibrant bird against the blue backdrop of the Pacific. And I suddenly just realized that I'm the one who's deciding whether it should be there or not. The earth doesn't fucking care. Like, as long as there's trees, as long as there's breezes, as long as there's animals, the earth doesn't really care what kind they are or whether they belong or not. And, you know, that suddenly applied to me because, like, for a long time I've seen humans as invasive. I feel like there's too many of us who are choking everything out. And... You know, and thus that really goes to me. I'm invasive. I don't belong here. And the mushrooms made me see that I do belong here. We all do. We're all part of this. And um, it's just, I'm so grateful for that because for so long, it's like this low-level anxiety of feeling like I don't belong here and, and that we're ruining the planet and there's nothing we can do. But that's not, that's not what it's about, really. It's... It's about something bigger, and I just thank you for letting me talk about that. (laughs) 
If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon. To say thank you, we have perks like hemp t-shirts, blotter art, tickets to our events, Palo Santo, and one of the new chapters from Anandamide, or The Cannabinoid, my graphic novel series about cannabis based on Moby Dick. Find us at patreon.com slash symposium. A special thanks to Matt Payne, who engineered the sound, Joey Whip and California Smile, who made the music, and to Brian Norman, who produced the show. 